First Kings is where we are. We've been there, I don't know how many weeks now, three or four, I guess. Um, we are in a good place. I think this was ordained by the Lord, not planned by me. There's just um, that we're looking at this particular book, looking at a transition in the kingdom, as we saw back in chapter one, David was preparing to die and he had to deal with some things. There was a coup. One of his sons was going to proclaim himself king when David had already promised that Solomon would be king. And so Nathan had to step in and Bathsheba and um, confront the king and kind of bring that to his memory. Y'all remember that? Um, so we saw all of that take place. David gave Solomon a charge um, of the things that uh, that he needed him to know, uh, be strong, improve, and show yourself a man. Um, he gave him some instruction as it relates to the difficulties that lay ahead. Some things he needed to know, you know, the nature of some Joabs and different people who, uh, Shimei, different people who uh, did not have Solomon's best interest at heart. And Solomon... He did not, as we'll see, disregard his father's instruction. He actually carried those things out. Um, and so we've been looking at those things um, as we've been going through this. And so really, and I'll talk about some of that again tonight, but I guess in a lot of ways, as I've been sharing with you from an application standpoint, it's definitely the leadership uh, lessons that we are learning. Um, and the good thing about leadership that I have found is that the best the best leaders are those who have already learned how to follow, you know, and that's always key and how to how to follow, how to be respectful, how to to authority, how to be obedient, how to um, uh, how to support and strengthen someone else and be a servant. Now, granted, there are some people that are just natural leaders. They can and they can lead people any anywhere they want them to go. Um, and that can be a good or a very bad thing. Amen. <laughs> but um, here we're just learning these qualities. And so I've always found that to be the case. And, you know, um, when you can respect authority and you can you can you can fall in rank and uh, uh, really utilize what God is giving you and how he's wired you to make something else better, to support someone in the call that they have. It strengthens you and God recognizes those things. And when we humble ourselves, it's God that sees and lifts up. And so I think a lot of those qualities, and I think I, I really love watching or going through this book for that very reason, because I've seen those types of things take place even in my own life. And, you know, it's very easy for me to follow because I had a strong grandfather, strong dad, and they kind of brought me up a certain way. People ask me, was I in the military a lot because of the way I would carry myself when I was younger? But no, I was just brought up that way. And so um, if there's an authority figure and he's doing a good job, I can get behind that, you know, and then my number gets called and it's time to step forward and do it myself. You know, and sometimes you you find yourself on both sides of this thing. And no matter which side you're on, um, what has God called you to do and what is how is he wired you? You know, individually, what are your strengths? Individually, what are your gifts? Individually, what are your talents? And then how do you bring those to the table to make whatever it is that God has inserted you into better? And because it's the middle of the week, you're probably thinking about work because that's where you got to go tomorrow um, or whatever the case. Maybe maybe you got asked to be on the homeowners association. I don't know. Don't be that person that's measuring everybody's grass and giving them a, a hard time. You know, <laughs> find a way to be better at that, you know. <laughs> 
Um, whatever you're called to, you know, that's the thing about this. You know, whatever you are called to. Remember David's call was when he was a boy keeping his father's sheep and killing bears and lions because they were trying to eat the sheep of which he was called to be the steward over. And so we began to see those things in scripture. It's such a wonderful, wonderful uh, place to be. And so as we begin to look at uh, chapter four, we're going to begin to look at wisdom in Solomon's administration, um, a critical time in the nation uh, as we see his administration getting settled. One of the things that we saw at the end of chapter three, verse 28, remember it said, all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered and they feared the king. Y'all see that? They feared the king for they saw that the wisdom, look, they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. And this brings me right back to the point I just made. Now, if you weren't in here last week, youth, you were not. This is the story where Solomon, two harlots came to him. One rolled over and killed her baby in the middle of the night. And so she got up and stole the other one's baby and put the dead baby, you know, he switched them basically. And the, one, the mother woke up and realized her son was dead. But then she looked and realized, no, this isn't even my son. And then she found her son with the other harlot. And so they took the matter before the king and they were arguing back and forth. And so King Solomon said, bring me a sword. And he said, cut the baby in half and give half to the one harlot and half to the other harlot. But the mother, the real mother, because of what God has put in mothers, said, oh, no, please don't do that. Let her have the baby. In her mind, in her heart, she would rather this other woman have her child than see her child killed. Solomon knew that was going to be the case. And so he said, hey, this is the real mother. Give, it, give the baby to her. Now, when the nation heard that, they feared. Feared in what way? They had a, a godly reverential fear because it says in the verse, they knew that the wisdom of God was on him. So therefore, we can't, we can't trick this dude. We need to get in rank. We need to kind of follow leadership. And one of the biggest things about leadership in any form or fashion, parents, husbands, first, parents, second, and then you managers and you supervisors and you ministry leaders is that the wisdom of the Lord is what you need in order to operate. Amen. But when God puts you in a place, God is the one who will lead you and, 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 and walk you through that process. And he will do so in such a way that people will, be, will begin to be able to see that God is with you. And, and it brings a blessing to everybody. And what we're going to see in chapter four is that the whole nation is going to be blessed. Um, and they're going to be blessed because Solomon is submitted to God. And so whether you're a husband or your parents, whatever the case may be, if you're submitted to God, and I used to see this happen on the job at First Citizens Bank, Data Center, Hammond Road, all the time. I was praying over those. I had seven employees, and we covered, I don't know how many states it was, um, and 400 and something branches that we were in charge of managing risk and doing audits and all this kind of stuff and, and, and reporting. And, uh, you know, but it was really God that was leading that department, you know, and this is amazing. You got to go to work tomorrow. Is God leading you through your decisions? And are the people that are directly impacted by your work or leadership, uh, are they being blessed because God is walking you through the process or are you just going through the motions and don't even like the job? You know, wherever you find yourself, as, as Paul tells us in Colossians, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. And then he says, the Lord who sees secretly rewards openly. Like you, you are a servant of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you are. 
your boss can be a heathen. All your coworkers can be heathens. The people that report you can be heathens. It can be, it doesn't even matter. None of that matters. Man, God is so good that he will show up right there on your job, in your house, wherever you are, and, and lead you through this process. We have to remember and recognize that we are the people of God. And the people of God, we, as Paul says to the, sec- to the Corinthians in the second book, that we should be bringing the fragrance of Christ wherever we are. It should be being diffused in this situation. Like the place should smell better, spiritually speaking, you, and, and physically, because you, you walked in there. You know? There should be a, a spiritual aroma because a, a, uh, someone who is spirit-filled is there and responsible for the things that are going on. And so, anyway, that's just a little exhortation as we dive in here in verse 1 where it says, So King Solomon was king over all Israel. And so, Father, I thank you tonight as we approach this text, Lord. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to it and that you would speak to us, Lord, according to your spirit, the things that we need to hear. And, Lord, let it, let it change who we are as the Old Testament's written as an example. As Lord, you are trying to mold and shape us more and more in your image. Let us not be churchgoers. Lord God, let the word uh, cut and, and, and do all that it needs to do, surgery, dividing and correcting, rebuking, encouraging, uh, Lord, that we would go out of this place always equipped and ready to do your works. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So King Solomon was king over all Israel. Just a beautiful, beautiful phrase. Um, because the interesting thing about this phrase is that he's careful over all, he's king over all Israel because his father David was king over all Israel. And David had conquered and David had worked hard to subdue a lot of these things. And so now Solomon is inheriting from his father. But again, as I told you earlier, because he's been careful to honor his father, David, and to even follow the instructions of his father, David, he's able to step now into this particular position. If you remember last week, chapter three, verse three, where it says, and Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statues of his father, David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. We talked about that last week, but he loved the Lord and he was walking in his statutes. And it was there at Gibeon, chapter three, verse five, that God came and he spoke to Solomon. And he said, ask whatever it is you want. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And so God honored him and fulfilled his promise both to David and to Solomon as we're going to see. Because he humbled himself, he regarded what his father had said, he is seeking the Lord, and the Lord is now leading him. In fact, the thing that's interesting about this first phrase in verse 1 is that this is the only time in the history of Israel that they are going to be united as one kingdom and that they have prospered to this particular magnitude because after Solomon, when his son takes over, his son will not walk in the same level of wisdom and he won't do the things that we're going to see Solomon doing in this chapter and he's going to split the kingdom and then they'll forever be divided. And, and in fact, even more so, the, the, the nation of Israel from the time of Solomon's reign, when Solomon was gone, they will never experience the prosperity or the unity again until the Lord Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom, his throne in Jerusalem, in the temple that he will build, that he will build. We saw that in Ezekiel. We talked about it in Zechariah. We talked about it in Isaiah. And so Israel won't see that again until the Lord Jesus comes back. And it's only prospering. It's only to this magnitude. It's only this way because Solomon the king is fully submitted to God. And he's walking in the honor and the respect of both his father 
and Lord himself. And so, again, as a leader, as a husband, as a parent, wives, husbands, um, and, and whatever it is that God has called you to do. And even if you would say, well, Pastor Kevin, I'm not lead, leading anything. I'm just a whatever. Well, again, whatever you do, you do it as unto the Lord. But when it's submitted to God, God has a way of elevating it. It's crazy how most of you, a lot of you have the testimony that you were just following the Lord and what you were doing. And somehow God calls it to be illuminated to the right person. Somebody sees it and a promotion comes or this happens or that happens because you were dedicating that what you're doing to him. See, people of God, God doesn't like complaining. In fact, Paul says in to the Philippians, do everything without grumbling and complaining because it stinks to God. It's a bad fragrance. So God is saying, hey, don't be a, a, a whining, complaining employee because God is not going to bless that. God says, no, dedicate the thing to him, then get diligent in him, allowing him to lead you, and then watch him change your perspective and how other people view it as well. Man, God can show up at your job that you may not like and do miracles in the midst of it. And we have to understand that, that we are ambassadors, so there's a way we're supposed to walk. There's a way we're supposed to carry ourselves. There's an honor to, even if you might say, well, I don't think what I'm doing is very honorable and I don't want to be here. But because of who you are, there is an honor to it because of the way you're carrying yourself in the Lord. And that's what people begin to take note of. And they don't, know, they don't even understand it. They don't quite get it until they ask you. And then according to Peter, you're ready to give a, an answer for the hope that lies within you. Why do I carry myself this way? Why am I working harder than maybe the people beside me? It's because I work for him, not the dude in, down the hall in the corner office. I don't work for that dude. I work for, for, for God Almighty. And so I carry myself a certain way. Now, all right, so verse two, y'all doing okay? Y'all seem heavy tonight. What's, what's going on? I missed something? All right, I'm gonna tell you, man, it's... Uh, it's, uh, it's real sometime. I just came back from Richmond and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful, um, just the whole weekend was wonderful. You know, you just don't know what God is doing sometimes. So I'm standing on the beach in Virginia Beach Friday on the sand, you know, beautiful. And there are hundreds of people sitting outside the restaurant, eating, walking to the beach, and all of this stuff, boardwalk, bikes and skateboards and, and, and all this stuff going by. Here we are on the sand with a microphone. Wasn't it last month Pride Month? Yes. Okay, so we're wrapping Pride Month up and I got a microphone talking about godly marriage. You know, isn't that something? <laughs> and I was like, man, God, what, you know, and then and I get down to Richmond and, um, and God had changed my message at the last minute and in the middle of the night, three o'clock, I couldn't sleep. It just, out of my sleep, I wake up because um, I was wrestling with my message and I was going to change it to something easy. And my daughter, the Lord spoke through Lydia and she said, um, don't give up, dad. You said you were going to teach Galatians. So I was like, dad, I got to do it now <laughs> because I got to be an example. If I quit now, she's going to be like, dad, quit. So now I'm stuck. <laughs> so I'm pressing through in the middle, you know, as a spiritual warfare and I, I press through, I get the message done. Uh, and then the people who came up, the people who stood for prayer and then came up to talk to me about why that particular message was what they needed to hear. 
for a bunch of different reasons. And so God is aware of everything that's going on and he's aware of where we're going. And so he's preparing us for where we're going. And then here the team's trying to minister and electricity's going out. I heard on Sunday over in the children's ministry in the youth room. So we don't ever know what we're doing, but God is with us. And we got to just, man, just say, okay, Lord, I don't know what's about to happen today, but I'm fully submitted to you. Have your way. That's the way we got to be able to walk. Now, check out this. This we're going to look at now is the godly administration. Solomon has the wisdom of the Lord. And so if someone has all the wisdom of the Lord put on them as Solomon did, what type of administration would they create? What type of leadership structure and people would they bring around them? Notice in verse two, and these were his officials. We'll read through it and then we'll, we'll kind of come back because it's a, it's a very interesting thing for us to go through some of this. I won't do it in detail, but obviously officials is uh, translated uh, it's in yeah, over 300 and something times in the, in the Old Testament, this particular Hebrew word is translated 208 times as captain, 130 times as chief, 33 times as ruler, 33 times as governor, six times keeper, three times principal, two times general, one time Lord, and one time uh, just in a miscellaneous way. And so it kind of encaptures all of those things that you could imagine. So we can give titles to them as we go through this. And generally, this list of Solomon's leadership is kind of like his, his leadership cabinet, uh, if you can think about that, a new administration coming in and they're building their cabinet. So, uh, cabinet. so what type of cabinet would someone who has all the wisdom of the Lord create? So verse 2, it says, um, Azariah, the son of Zadok, the priest, is the first one mentioned right off the bat. And we'll talk about it a little bit. Um, Eli Horeth and... Ahijah, Ahijah, the sons, both of these are of the same father, of Shisha scribes. Um, so I would call these guys kind of the secretaries of state. They are the scribes. Their job would be to keep uh, record of all of the, the legalities and the, the policies, um, the foreign policies or anything that might happen, any type of uh, arrangements and agreements and things that the king and his cabinet would be involved in. These scribes would keep up with those things. Um, as well as, of course, as scribes, they're kind of like lawyers. And because they're Jews and this is the nation of Israel, they also have to kind of keep up with the law. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilub, the recorder. And so he's going to be recording things on a daily basis. We could almost call him the minister of public relations, um, communications, if you will, uh, press secretary even maybe. So this guy is good because he is going to be able to kind of, you need a good person in that place because they're going to be communicating out all of the things that the administrative administration is doing. So that's really important. The next guy, here's a guy we've seen before. Um, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, uh, over the army, which is great. So he is the minister of defense. And he's been around for a while. We'll talk about him just briefly. I just want to go through this. Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. We've seen their names before. Ezariah again, but this is a different Ezariah than the one that up in verse 2. This one is the son of Nathan over the officials. And so he's all of, over all the officials. He's kind of the chief of staff kind of guy um, is the name I would give him. Um, also... Um, 
Zebud, the son of Nathan, again, uh, he is a priest, and he is, notice, the king's friend. I like that. Simple. If for no other reason for him to be there is that he's the king's friend. I think that's smart on Solomon's part. What do y'all think? I mean, I'm sure he's capable as well, but I mean, it's kind of good to have someone in there that you know you can trust that has your back. We'll talk about that as we go on. Um, then after him, we have Ahishar over the household. So he's like a chief steward, if you will, over, I would call him the, the minister of domestic affairs. Um, chief steward, he keeps track of everything that goes on within uh, the household of Solomon. Uh, Adonoram, the son of Abda over the labor force. And so if you read different translations, I, I would call him the minister of labor, but he could be the minister of finance or the treasurer, I, uh, in fact, because if you read the different versions, it seems to allude to all of those things. And so this short list here that we're looking at, um, a total of 11 officials. But here's the interesting thing. You, you want to know what type of leadership someone who has all the wisdom of God would create. Four out of this 11 are either priests or sons of priests. So they've been trained in the service of the Lord. And this means that they are hardworking, diligent. They understand the importance of worship being the center of the nation. And they understand the word of God being priest or being the sons of priests. Um, for them, their heart, their training, all things God are important. And any advice that they give to Solomon are going to be filtered through the word of God and the worship at the temple, which is the center of the nation of Israel. So out of 11, right off the bat, four are coming from that type of background. This means that Solomon will be constantly reminded um, of how every decision that he is making would affect the worship for the nation of Israel and who their God is. And can you imagine a king being surrounded by men who think like that? I mean, that's kind of kind of good. I mean, imagine if, and I, I know we just celebrated the fourth and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm not going to get into any of that. I'm not going to get into any of it for any nation in the world. But imagine if a nation if the, if the chief cabinet, if, the, if four out of the 11 were telling the prime minister or the king, hey, remember, this will affect worship. This is how God would have us to do that. Oh, remember, it says in the law over here that this is how you handle this particular thing. Can you imagine that for a minute? And Solomon seems to be humble enough that he's going to actually listen to these types of people which to me indicates that part of the reason why the whole nation of Israel is going to be blessed is because not only is Solomon humble enough to listen, but he's also humble enough to know that he can't do this on his own, so he has to have the right people around him. And look, any good leader is going to realize that, that he can't do it on his own. He's going to have to have good people. He's going to have to listen to the good people that he has around him in order to be able to function, in order for it to be able to be blessed. And when a leader can't do that, then the ship's going to go down at some point because if you have someone that's not humble, they're full of pride and won't hear from anyone, won't empower people to do things, or they try to micromanage everything, then it won't work. It can't be done that way. And so there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from that. How do you apply it, though? 
I think we have to apply that in every area of our lives. You think about marriage, let's start there. So God says that it's not good for man to be alone, so I'm going to give him a helpmeet, a helper, comparable to him. And the interesting thing, and I had to go verify this because I heard somebody say it, that the word used for helpmeet in the Old Testament is, if you check it, most often used of God himself. So God's like, I'm going to give you all somebody that's kind of like me, man, because you need somebody right there with you all the time to kind of help you with a lot of the things because God didn't call us to do it all alone. And so then, therefore, a husband has to honor his wife enough in the Lord to realize that she is equal because he made man and woman equal, right? Women are not inferior to men. I mean, you can find ways. I mean, she may not be able to bench press or lift what you lift, but from an intellectual standpoint, she's, she's as strong, if not stronger. That means she's got, she's got counsel to contribute. So whenever a man is so pigheaded that he won't listen to his wife, usually he makes dumb mistakes and she quietly figures out a way to make it not look so bad. <laughs> and I know this because I was married for 22 years. Um, and so there's a help meet there. Hey, we got to humble ourselves and listen to what she's saying. I'm starting with the guys because everything starts with the head. Amen. Guys are looking at me like, man. <laughs> but likewise, when women don't listen to their husbands, they get in just as much trouble. And so you got two, two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. So therefore, I think that there's a council, there's a cabinet. I call it a, uh, the divine boardroom of marriage where you have, you have God, you have the husband, you have the wife. You know, the, the word of God is the bylaws, the Holy Spirit's doing the leading. And so even you see it within the household, you see it within anything that you do. Um, you can't buy a house without, without having some wise counsel around you. You need a realtor, you need a, you need a mortgage banker, and unless you're extremely wealthy. You need, you need counsel in your life to do anything that you're doing. Everybody understand? And so when we're too prideful to listen, everything usually goes wrong. And I see in leadership here that with Solomon, he's got these wise men around him. I want to keep going here. Um, I want to spend a, a couple of moments here on this. So one of the things I notice also is the experience of this cabinet. In 2 Samuel chapter 20, verses 23 through 26, we see this. I think we have it on the screen. Yeah, it says, and Joab was over the army of Israel. Now, this is David's cabinet. Benat Benaniah. Notice that guy, we can underline him because we see him again in Solomon's. Uh, the son of Jehoiada was over the uh, Cherethites and the Pelethites. Adoram was uh, in charge of the revenue. Jehoshaphat, we just saw him, the son of Ahilu, was recorder. Hmm, so he's still recorder in Solomon's cabinet. Um, Shiva was scribe. Notice this, Zadok and Abioth, Abiathar were the priests. They're still the priests. So, and then it says, and Ara the Jerite was chief minister under David. So that's David's cabinet. So four men who serve in, in, the, in David's cabinet during his reign and understand the importance of what they are doing as well as how to get it done are in Solomon's cabinet. And Solomon has brought all of that wisdom of his father David's reign into his reign and has, has those men sitting around him giving him counsel about things that he don't have a clue about because he's just getting into it. Isn't that amazing? There's got to be some wisdom in it. He's the wisest man to ever live, and he's saying to us, hey, 
Make sure you don't go it alone and make sure you got the right people around you. And then humble yourself enough to realize that they're experts in their field. Listen to what they're saying to you as you're praying about what to do. That's what Solomon is teaching us just right off the bat as we begin to look at this. But then I also wanted to look at these guys' names for a minute. Azariah, the son of Zadok, the priest, his name means Jehovah has helped. And then this is, this is back now in our text where we're going through these guys. Um, the next guy down, uh, He his name, and we, remember I called him the secretary of state. His, ma- his name means God of winter. And the guy who's serving with him, Ahijah, his name means uh, brother of Jehovah. I like that. Jehoshaphat, the minister of public relations, you know, communication guy. His name means Jehovah has judged. Uh, Benaiah, Benaniah, um, the minister of defense, his name means Yahweh has built up. I love that. Zadok, the priest, his name means righteous. Um, and then Abiathar, his name means father's great. And you can kind of go through this. I mean, all of them aren't spot on. Azariah, the son of Nathan, his name means Jehovah has helped again. Um, both of those guys have the same name. We, we got that. Um, Zebu, uh, this particular guy was one of the priests. His name means given um, and, and so forth and so on. Not all of them are spot on in that way, but all of these guys, their names, if you will, carry forth in, 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 a, in a sense, the word of God. They come from families that believe in and serve because often they would name their children based upon either experience or some characteristic of the child or something that reflected their care and worship and thanksgiving back to God for receiving the child. Everybody understand that? So even in that, there's just this, this godly counsel that's surrounding Solomon. It's very interesting as we look at all of this stuff. I don't want to go into all of these guys, but these guys are, they're there because they're experienced. They're there because of what they do. His minister of defense, because remember, Joab defected. Y'all remember Joab? He defected with the son who tried to proclaim himself king. But Benaniah, who's been there the whole time, his name means Jehovah has built up. This dude is a mighty warrior that served under David. Um, uh, I was talking with uh, uh, Davon, and he said, you got to go look in 2 Chronicles. I, I, I'm going to read a little bit of what it says in chapter 11 of 2 Chronicles. Verse 22, it says, Benaniah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of God who had done many deeds. He killed two, he killed, uh, two lion-like heroes of Moab. In other words, these were mighty men from Moab. He also had gone down and killed an actual lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Now, that's a beast of a man right there. This is this dude. I mean, in a pit, first of all, you go get in a pit with a lion, the lion has the advantage. You can't run. It's a snowy day, which means you got no footing. And he went down there and killed a lion. I don't want to fight this guy. <laughs> and then he killed an, an, uh, an Egyptian, a man of great, oh, it's not on the screen, I'm sorry, of great height, five cubits. In other words, he is a straight up warrior. He's like David himself, and he's the minister of defense. I think Solomon is covered if he has to go to war. Plus, this guy served all the way under David's reign and under Joab, so he understands how to fight. He understands how to conduct himself on the battlefield. So all of these people are surrounding, now I could go into a lot of these, but I'm not, surrounding Solomon. Y'all doing okay? 
Okay, all right. So Solomon, who remember when God said, ask what you, what you want, and I'll give it to you. And he says, I don't, I'm a child. I'm, I'm a youth. I don't know how to go out, and I don't know how to come in. I need wisdom. God says, because you've asked for wisdom and not riches, I'm going to give you wisdom. And then, of course, he, he got the riches because you're going to get riches if you have wisdom. But the thing is, with the wisdom, we see him impl- applying it here without any pride and humility, surrounding himself with the right type of people. And that is why he's going to be able to rule very well. So verse 7, and Solomon had 12 governors over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month of the year. Now, I'm not going to go through all of these particular names, but these 12 governors are going to be governors over regions. They're not necessarily the head of tribes. It's 12 of them, but they're actually uh, specifically heads of geographic regions. Solomon is not getting into running the tribe. The tribes have elders. He doesn't have to do that, which I think is smart. (laughs) They don't need me to micromanage the tribes. They got their structure already set up. However, I'm going to need to function as a king. Therefore, there needs to be a taxation to some degree. So I'm going to put a man over each of the 12 regions to basically administer and collect the tax. And, And the beautiful thing about it is, who provided food for the king and his household, each one, verse 7, made provision for one month of the year. That's actually pretty good. That's a lot that's needed. And you go through the list, you'll see, whoa, we'll read some of it. There's a lot that Solomon needs to run his household, but those governors only have to take care of one month out of the year. I think it's manageable. I get the sense that the taxation is not heavy. It's, it's heavy in a sense. It's necessary, but it's not overbearing and they can actually manage it. And when people can manage it, they're going to be more willing to actually keep it up because they're going to, what's going to happen is they're going to see the blessings of the king that they have. Now, when his son takes over, he won't be that wise and he'll heavily tax the people and they won't want to serve him. Okay, so we see that wisdom as well. And there's a lot of things, you know, good, good leaders look for ways to uh, make sure that the people under them have everything that they needed and that the load that they're carrying is manageable and good leaders find ways to, f- to make it even more efficient and effective. Good leaders want those who they lead to be successful and to be able to carry the load and so that the, the whole team can be successful. And I think, I think that's beautiful. I'm going to run out of time here in a moment. So verses eight down, is just the list of the names of those particular governors. I'll mention a couple of things. Um, one down in verse 13, this particular governor, uh, Ben Geber in Ramoth Gilead. Um, and in Gilead to him also belonged the region of Argog in Bashan, 60 large cities with walls and bronze gates. This is one of the regions that the giants were inhabiting. You remember when Moses and Joshua were approaching the land, uh, they had to deal with that. Same thing down in verse 19, Geber, the son of Uri, um, or Uri, uh, in the land of Gilead, in the country of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and of Gog, the king of Bashan. Both of those kings are notorious, legendary, because they were giants, they were hybrids. Y'all remember that? Um, and so these areas are now within Israel, which we're going to see. Wisdom and exceedingly great understanding um, and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. I love that. Um, 
just wisdom abounding in him. God continued to produce wisdom. And the more he was diligent, he got more wisdom. And I think that's um, a godly principle because when God gives us something to put our hands to, I think as we're diligent to do those things, he supplies more um, because that's, that's the way he operates, you know, um, gives seed to the sower. Jesus said to the, to the wicked servant, because you did, you know, you were wicked. You didn't do nothing with it. Take, take what he even has and give it to the one that's productive. You know, and so Solomon's being productive with God, what God gave him, and God gave him wisdom, and he's using it. Verse 30, thus Solomon's wisdom um, excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan, the Ezraite, and, and, uh, and, the, and, and Haman, and all these guys, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke, notice, 3,000 proverbs. And that I couldn't imagine doing. 3,000 Proverbs and his songs were 1,005. But then notice this. And you can do your own research. Maybe we'll do a little bit of it next Wednesday. Also, he spoke of trees. From the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs up of the wall or out of the wall. In other words, it, it comes out of the cracks of the wall. Hyssop, we talk about that. It's almost like a sponge. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and of fish. In other words, in his wisdom, he wrote about them from a scientific standpoint. He explored them and he exposed um, the very nature of these things. And men of all nations from all the kingdoms of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And so obviously God is at work in Solomon's life and he's completely submitted to God at this point in his life. And so he is, he is thriving. And so as we get ready to close, I just want to say that, you know, leadership is important. Um, but you know, the reality is that, you know, we don't, we don't have wisdom in and of ourselves. And the Bible says, if any man lacks it, let him ask of God who gives liberally. So whatever you are lacking wisdom for God, will supply it for you to accomplish that what you're doing. But the lessons we learn is humility from Solomon. Um, the, re, the, the, um, not only humility, but the ability to, to surround themselves with the right people, to listen to their counsel, to yield, and to carry out the things that he's charged with carrying out um, in a diligent way. And then to use those things which God has given him and work on them. You know, as believers, we should be growing and developing our gifts that God has given us. God has given you a gift and you should be exploring what that gift is. And then you should be developing it more, putting it to use and sharpening it and all of those kind of things. That's what we're called to do. So, you know, with that being said, you know, um, I'm so thankful that, you know, God has, from a leadership perspective, led me in a couple of different ways. One as we prepare to close, you know, years ago when, when um, I, needed, I needed to go somewhere, I don't remember what it was, and I had called and asked for um, this particular pastor if he could send someone to, to fill in for me, and he had a big staff, and he told me that he didn't have anyone he could spare. And I'm thinking, you got a big staff, and you ain't got nobody you can spare? And, um, it, it, and I, I think I've told you all this before, it bothered me for a moment. I was like, okay, well, then that must be God. God must be speaking to me and saying that you, you, need to, you need to develop from within. So now I remember going to California that year to the, um, the uh, International Pastors Conference in Marietta. 
at the, uh, where the Bible college used to be. And I remember God speaking to me one night as I was praying about it. And he was saying, you can't cut corners when developing leadership. You have to disciple from within. That's going to be the strongest leadership. You disciple them. So I came back, started a Thursday night Bible study. I think we had moved to Guy Road that year, and, and that was it. We just went from there. And those men who came out every week, early, late, helping, set up, break down, those men eventually, years later, became like the first deacon guys. You know? <laughs> and then, you know, then eventually we had elders, and then eventually we had some assistant pastors. But it's just, you know, pouring in from, from uh, just developing from right around you that, that which is faithful, you know. Um, and so, you know, now surrounded by leaders, elders, overseers, pastors, ministry leaders, and then the rest of y'all who just serve, just surrounded by people here who I can almost, you know, at times feel like I can trust my life with, with you all. And I, I, I love what God is doing here, you know. And so... Um, I wasn't going to say this tonight, but since we're talking about leadership, I want to share this quick announcement that because of that and everything that's happened in my life this year, I'm actually going to take um, Wednesday nights off for about 45 to 60 days in mid-August and then coming back mid-October because I have the leadership to be able to do it. And because God spoke to me right around about the six-month mark of Lisa being home with him, he's really pressing upon me that I got to focus on my call as a father first and then as a pastor second. And uh, because, you know, my, both my children are going into different phases of, of their life. My daughter's going into high school and my son's getting married. And, you know, I really want to make sure that I don't drop the ball with her as she goes into high school. And so um, that's what I'm going to do. So, you know, I'm going to keep going here for a few weeks, but about mid-August, I'm going to step away. Um, because, and, and, you know, I'm just saying I'll do that for 45, 60 days, you know, and I'll let you know at that point where we are, but it's just nothing wrong. It's just I'm surrounded by such strong men who love me and who are um, helping me, you know, so... Really appreciate you, and they they fully support what's happening, what what needs to happen. Um, I love being here on Wednesday nights, and I'll be here to some degree, but you know I have to participate in homeschool co uh, carpool stuff. <laughs> so I'll be picking her up from class because um, she goes. She'll be going Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So I'll be picking her up from class either in carrier or in one of the carpools, and then coming back. I found that difficult last semester because one, a couple of Wednesdays we got back to Clayton like, and I got here right as service was starting. Um, so I'm like, well, I want to do that and focus on that for a little while and see how that goes. But we've got um, strong men here who are awesome, can teach the Bible. We've been doing this together for a lot of years, a lot of years. And that's the strength of our church. I, I get to travel and go to other churches too. And so there's when I tell you that when you, when you empower leaders to, to, to function in their gifts and you don't micromanage them, that's when things really grow. And that's why I can do this and feel really good about it. Um, so that, I wanted to let y'all know that. Everything is fine. There's nothing wrong. I'm in probably, I'm at the strength. So 
I think next Wednesday, I think it is, will be seven months. And so I know I count by days. <laughs> I'm probably the strongest I've been in a sense where God has made me um, since all of this. And I'm confident now even more so of where he's taken me, you know, and what my call is and, and what he's going to continue to do with my life. But, um, you know, when we get to heaven, we got a bunch of leaders here. But when we get to heaven, I'm the only one who has to give an account for my daughter's life. So anyway, let's pray. Yeah. So Father, thank you for this wonderful group of people that you brought here. I pray that you would continue to grow us and strengthen us. Lord, as we start construction this week on this building and there's so many things ahead of us that we don't even know yet. And we don't know when you're coming. That's the big thing. Help us to stay faithful and as, as though you were coming tomorrow, even though it may be a while. Uh, help us to balance that, that out. Um, strengthen us, Lord, for people that you are bringing and will continue to bring, it seems, uh, to this church. Help us to be diligent to minister to those who are already here. Um, Lord, we love you. Uh, Lord, I pray that in First Kings that you are creating new leaders as we listen to this teaching, Lord God, as uh, leaders in the home, leaders in the marketplace, leaders uh, in ministry. Uh, Lord, you've invested your spirit in us and given us your word. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be diligent to respond to that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.